Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And this show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. I'm really enthused and excited to have Julie Taylor on the show today. So Julie is the CEO at Alaska Regional Hospital. She's done some powerful things across healthcare. She's doing some great things where she's at today. I'm not going to steal her thunder, though. Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. It's great to be here. Well, well, thanks for peeling all time to do this with me and uh, Alaska and, and, and running a hospital in Alaska. The nuances are probably so vast, but I think what's most important is I always love origin stories and why people are driven to do things in health. And uh, maybe you can start us off by telling me a little bit about what led you to become the person you are or said another way. Tell me a little bit about your, your origin story. So it's really interesting because uh, my origin story would lead you to believe that I was a shoe in to go into healthcare from the start. And quite honestly, as I was graduating high school with great grades and a bright future, I was thinking beauty school and really wasn't thinking healthcare at all. And it wasn't until it's crazy, right? So it wasn't until my best friend Terry um, said, I think I'm going to go to LPN school. I thought, well, hmm, that's, that might be something. And so the reason why that's interesting is my dad was a psychiatric social worker. My mom was a nurse. So I, I was surrounded by healthcare growing up and that wasn't a natural for me. So when, long story short, I went into nursing with my best friend and fell in love with it. And over the course of my career, just continued to progress in my career, um, you know, getting my actually associate degree first. And I went back for my two masters and, over the course of that time, just found myself in situations where my passion fit my skills and things just kind of kept going. Um, I you know that's the best part about it is that even on a hard day, it's still something I love. I love it. I love it, Julie. Well, you know, glad you took the, the route that you did. And obviously I can imagine, you know, how many patients and citizens and, and from where you're at and, you know, from previous roles have benefited from your, your leadership and your focus on, on, on health and your decision to, to lead in health. Um, and, and along those lines, Julie, I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, as you're seeing so much happen in healthcare and being in Alaska, it's, a, it's obviously a little bit different um, than, you know, the core states here. But tell me a little bit about what has your fixation in health these days or fascination in health. And I'd love to just hear about your passions in health uh, on what's going on today and what, what has you excited? Sure. Well, the thing that has me excited and concerned at the same time is as we look at the healthcare landscape and the challenge that we're facing, there are so many things that are preventable or at least avoidable. And if we look back over the course of the human evolution and the things that have been introduced into our worlds that we think actually make the world better have actually made it more challenging. And the example I can give you would be just with nutrition in general and how we look at what is what is good to eat and what makes it flavorful. And, and there's a whole documentary called Fed Up. Uh, if you were to look it up and watch that, you would realize that the food industry has been a challenge to deal with when we look at health and wellness. And some of the things that we have grown accustomed to have been a part of our problem. And as we look at the obesity ep epidemic and the things that are popular out on the market to, you know, drink and eat, that is a big part of our issue. The other part that does create a challenge for me is the fact that we have a system that actually allows people to purchase 
such items when they're using food stamps. And I'm all about supporting people being able to have healthy food choices, but I personally don't think Doritos should be on that list. And that could get me in trouble for saying that out loud, but you know, if we're going to promote health and wellness, it really has to start in how we take care of ourselves. The right. sedentary nature sedentary nature of the world, too, is we get into eye technology that leaves us sitting and using that technology as opposed to moving around is also a concern. So that it. would be an example. Then how cool. do you arm people with the right information so they can make better decisions? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Julie, I'd love to hear about maybe some, some Dana Life or some use cases on maybe on a local level or in Alaska, you know, what are, what are the differences that make a difference in, um, you know, educating for food choices, educating patients? And also how does that nuance differ than, than, you know, um, you know, states like California, New York and some, you know, Florida and, you know, how is Alaska different? I'm just kind of curious and what's the difference that makes a difference in helping, you know, helping patients get healthier, you know, post-discharge. Sure. Well, I would say it actually, Alaska's in a better position with that because we're very mm-hmm. more outdoors oriented. Mm-hmm. So it is definitely a matter of um, being active and the, the diet that you eat and, and the decisions that you make. So I would say Alaska's actually ahead of the game there. The challenge that we run into is, you know, what's available locally from mm-hmm. a healthcare perspective. And do we have enough prevention efforts and primary care physicians that are able to help meet those needs. So that that becomes more our issue. I think the issue is that when we talk about how do we, what's the right diet and exercise mechanism, that's a worldwide issue. I love it. I love it, Julie. And um, can you, can you speak a little bit about, um, you know, on the prevention efforts and the education efforts, you know, what are maybe like one or two like programs or, you know, community efforts that you're doing or that you've seen that really are, are seem promising and things that you'd like to scale and see more of doing. I mean, the food stamp example is, is a, is a, is a powerful one. And, and it, it's such a polarizing, uh, you know, it's a polarizing example, but it's, it's, you know, we need to speak about these things and talk about some of these things because they just, you know, some of these things don't make sense, but I'd love to hear about maybe some other examples on the prevention side and some programs that you're, you're seeing that you'd love to you know, scale up or see more of? Well, I guess a good example, if we're just talking nutrition alone, you think mm-hmm. about the work in the schools and what do we make available in vetting machines and, you know, how how does that align with the nutrition principles that we're teaching kids from a very young age? So I do see very good progress on that front and that is a wonderful thing. We've just got two, three generations that we have to cycle with that same mentality and thought mm-hmm. process and how we're na- navigating that. I think if we were to switch gears and think about a bigger issue that is is a um, hard one for everybody and definitely for us is what are the, when we look at social determinants of care of mm-hmm. health and how are we making sure that we are covering the pieces that really do impact uh, people's health and wellness functionally, whether mm-hmm. they are homeless or not, are they underemployed? What kind of insurance do they have? So, or do they have insurance at all and what access do they have? So there's a lot of things that feed into health and wellness that people aren't weren't really aware of probably until more in the recent years as we think about, um, you know, behavioral health as an example and how mm-hmm. does that, and, and that sometimes behavioral health can turn into a problem for people being able to remain, you know, in housing because right. they aren't able to control their, you know, the behavioral health, health aspect of their challenges and they get kicked out of their um, 
housing and then they're homeless and then they mm. can't get a job and, and the cycle really continues. So there's going to be a need for a real effort to provide support in many areas that we're probably not traditionally accustomed to, to help keep people upright and moving forward. Because once they have those resources, people do much better, but we forget right. that those resources are a part of health and wellness. I love it. I love it. And then how, how are you thinking about, what's your mindset on, on uh, matching, you know, resource? There's probably a lot of different social resources that are, that are local they're pretty powerful to help people on the behavioral side, shelter side, food kitchens. Um, how do you, how, what's your mindset on going forward, uh, matching, you know, local resources or social resources with a patient's needs? Uh, how do you, how do you do that? Or how are you thinking about that? It really takes a gathering of like-minded entities mm-hmm. from all areas across the community. We have an effort like that underway right now here in mm. Anchorage that I'm a part of. And I see momentum and interest, and it's a matter of how you match what people can do with what they're incentivized to do and and how you intersect um, principles and right down to how how is it funded. Mm -hmm. Some of these strategies, although they make sense, our our system is not necessarily set up to incentivize that direction at this point in time. So Mm -hmm. how do we make baby steps in that direction so you can actually show that the investment is worthwhile. And that I think is going to be an opportunity we'll continue to work on. I love it. I love so it. We, and- we would have a shelter. The example would be, you know, we definitely have a shelter. Catholic social services uh, is a big part of that and leading that effort and bringing the hospitals together with the outpatient providers, with all the, the key stakeholders that are involved in, in you know, bringing to bear the resources that we have. And you, but you have to be working together. There can't be silos. And right. I'm excited about what we're doing here locally because I do see that as, as a positive direction that we're taking in Alaska. Powerful, powerful. No, Julie, this is great. And I, if I, there's one, you know, word to take away from that, it's matching, right? And, and, uh, you know, aligning the, the incentives as well. But it's great that you're, you're, you know, involved in this uh, effort at Anchorage. And, you know, obviously, um, you know, kudos to, to what you're doing there. Um, so this is, this is really great, Julie. And, um, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, so you're, you're working on some, some things that set up a great foundation, a firm foundation for the future. Um, tell me a little bit about health in the future. So, you know, coming full circle, you, you've been in this industry for a while. You've seen a lot of things happen. There's some really phenomenal things happening in social determinants of health, matching local resources, understanding patients more, but where do you, where, what's the future of health look like according to Julie? <laughs> I would say the more we can consume, um, align the consumers and get the consumers on board with understanding the decisions that they make and how they impact their present, past, present, and future. And then how do we bring those conversations along so that they, there's understanding of the repercussions of decisions and mm. that they're part of that process. I, the, the healthcare component generally isn't in the hands of consumers as much as I think it could be. And mm-hmm. so our goal is to really to help educate people to make the right decision that they are fully informed and they are engaged in that. And some of the technology is supporting that. I, I'm excited about the the dashboards that are created on our iPhones that track our walking, that we can insert our diets and, and pay attention that way. 
But then if you're going to make a decision, say if you want need to have surgery versus surgery have physical therapy, are, are you making those decisions fully informed and um, deciding really what is the best course as opposed to um, being a part of that conversation on the side? I, I do think that there's an opportunity for people to be more aware of um, the decisions that they have power to make, mm, which is what mm. they're being told to do. I love but it. It really comes down to engaging the consumer and having them be involved. You know, it's it's really when we when we talk about budgets and how sensitive of a topic that is, and what should be paid for and what shouldn't be paid for, and who should get it and who should not. That's right. easy to have a conversation about until it's your most cherished loved one in that seat. Right. And that that's hard. And also when it comes to advanced directives. And, you know, that's an example of an area of healthcare where end of life decisions are the hardest to make when you have to make them as mm-hmm. opposed to planning ahead. And there's been many times I've been, you know, in the ICU and watching a family around the bedside wanting to know, gosh, what would grandma want? And a week is spent trying to figure that out where those decisions would be good to be those conversations and decisions would be much better had, you know, long right. time before that. So how do we move in that direction? So that is more front of mind awareness. So it's, um, is healthcare right? Is it a, is it an entitlement? Is it a, is it a privilege? I mean, there's a lot of different people that have a lot of different opinions and I'm here to tell you once you're in that seat, it changes everything. Right. Right. Now, Julie, this is super powerful. Um, and I appreciate the perspective and, and since, this, this is, this is, I see us going in that direction as well. Um, and, and since you are a CEO of, of a, a hospital, we have a lot of listeners also that are emerging leaders or executives um, growing eventually will be a, you know, CEO or CEO of a hospital. I, I love your perspective on the difference that makes a difference in leading in a hospital. Um, you, you probably have a few tidbits of, 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 of wisdom that you could partake on an up and coming a person that's wanting to be, you know, run their own hospital. What what's some some differences that you see that are that make the difference in in leadership and in, in leading in healthcare in a, in a healthcare organization? But one thing I would say is that really comes down to your ability to develop meaningful relationships that are synergistic in nature that are able to move things forward. Mm. It's not just about being nice and well liked. It's about engaging audiences in a meaningful way to say, this is, this is what we believe. This is what we should do. And therefore we are going to do this. And I think it's really becomes a challenge to work in environments uh, where there's more talk than action that, that is, never been my mo and i actually find that frustrating sometimes so you know what is what is our takeaway uh so that being in mind as you're thinking about your ability to work with all subsets of people regardless if you agree or disagree or think otherwise how do you find a common denominator that you can step forward from and that is something you definitely want to develop in your skill set as as a leader the second thing is really knowing your how And the how will destroy the best plan if you don't think through the how you're going to roll something out or, you know, what that what that plan of action looks like. You know, you're considering all your stakeholders. Uh, You have to be able to adjust your how depending on the audience and finding what matters to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you don't do that, you will get tripped up along the way and it will go much lower or not well at all. 
Um, so that's why I think, you know, taking the time to really understand your stakeholders and having a shared vision, even if you don't agree on everything, what is the one point you agree on and how do you move forward from there? Right. Those are probably the two most, the biggest pieces that I would suggest. And then lastly, find something you're passionate about and something mm. that really matters to you. Because even on the worst day, if you still love what you do, you do, you still be able to get back up and do it again. Right. And because healthcare is not hard. Leaders, I mean, it's not hard. Look, healthcare is hard. It's very hard. <laughs> Leadership is hard. And, um, but you got to choose your heart, right? There's Absolutely. Not like they're. They always say if it was easy, they'd send a little girl with a note. So, you know, that's kind of the, the joke of the day. There isn't really anything that's like that in leadership or in healthcare. But if you care enough about it and you have the right why and you select a team that has that same why and that same passion, then it all goes much better. And you will realize that people are able to move forward together more effectively. Absolutely. As opposed to being stuck in the same spot for far too long. Julie, I love it. And and thank you. And I'm I'm sure we have some listeners that'll probably, you know, connect and reach out to you and and thank you for those words. I mean, that's, that means the, you know, the greatest, you know, you have experience, you, you're, you're leading a a great hospital, right? You're doing it in in a a very interesting time and to be able to partake that wisdom um, and pass it on to others that are up and coming is, is super powerful. And so, I just want to say it was, it was great, you know, having you on our show. My, my very last question for you, and I want to be sensitive to your time um, so you can keep doing what you're doing, um, is contact information. What would be a good way for our listeners to connect with you, maybe on LinkedIn, if they'd like to say hi or just reach out and say, you know, you know uh, and want to just connect with you? Sure. Well, I am on LinkedIn. That's one way to reach me or uh, my email address is uh, julie.taylor at hcahealthcare.com. I, or we are part of HCA, HCA Healthcare, the largest healthcare company in the world, the one I've been mm-hmm. with for going on 24 years now, and I'm very proud to be a part of. Awesome. Um, that Those would be the two ways. And it's actually interesting. Not long ago, I wrote a, a little article called The Accidental Leader that is also available on my LinkedIn site that describes a little more of what I was talking about from a leadership perspective and the kind of trail tips that I've learned in my now I'll be 57 this year. So you end up learning a lot of things over the course of your time that it's always good to share. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Julie, thank you so much for that. And we'll, we'll link to the article for the, in the show notes. Um, but uh, this was super great having you on the show. I'd love to have you back, have you speak about some of the, the newer projects and, you know, the results of some of the, the, the project you're doing in Anchorage with um, the community and everything that you're doing there. Just love to hear, hear more about what you're doing. And thank you so much for sharing your background your passions in health and giving us some, some great tidbits of advice on leadership and just connecting with the community and those around them. And so um, really appreciate this, Julie. This was great. Okay. Well, it was my pleasure, Anthony. You take care and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, Julie. Appreciate it.